Good morning, everyone. Luke 3 this morning. We fast forward from Jesus' birth and then the story of when he was about 12 years old and he went up to Jerusalem to the Passover. And now we are seeing Jesus and John the Baptist in as adults around the age of 30. And let's pick it up in verse 1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of the Etria, and Trachantus and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now that was a, a mouthful there, and but what it does is it helps us date. Luke is giving us really good records of who was in charge of the various regions at that time, both of the empire, but then also of um, the Jewish, you know, ru- rulers or leaders in the in the in the Jewish synagogue or in the Jewish faith, and that helps us. So, uh, you know, there are historians that have dated these men's lives, and sometimes it's hard to get exact, precise date, but clearly all of these uh, leaders were around at the time of Jesus, and they're recorded in not just the Bible, but in other records of that day, as Jesus is. Jesus is talked about not only in the Bible, but in other uh, accounts of literature of that day as well. These are real people in, in real places, and um, Let's pick it up in verse 3 there. Or what? And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John the Baptist, coming from, you know, Jesus' cousin, coming from Zacharias and Elizabeth, is called to a preaching ministry and asking the Jews to repent for the forgiveness of sins and be baptized. What's interesting in trying to discern John's ministry, and this happens in other gospel accounts too. I would, I think it's more prevalent in the what we call the synoptic gospels. That is uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're very similar, and they were written earlier. John's gospel, John wrote later and covered different material. Likely already seen the sources of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John filled in the blanks and and gave his account of the life of Jesus, covering new material largely, not entirely. I mean, obviously the stories line up, but John wrote later to fill in what wasn't written by the other men. But anyways, when these guys wrote, I want you to picture this. They're writing in what's called the church age, and I'll try to explain this for those who might not understand. Right now, Jesus is not living in the church age at the age of 30. The church is not officially begun yet. There's no Christianity. There's no church. After Jesus died on the cross, and then 50 days later when he sent his Holy Spirit on Pentecost, that's when Christianity officially began. And, you know, even then, of course, there weren't churches. People started meeting in Jerusalem, and eventually Christianity spread, and then churches were formed. But the 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 macro church began after the cross of Christ. That's when Christianity began. So we're, Luke 
living in that time, so he's writing this, oh, say maybe 65 AD, some 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he's in the church age. You know, everything about Christ has already been done. There's churches being formed and planted, and the full gospel is known and being written about. Um, But John's writing about a time now in John the Baptist's life, in Jesus's life, before all that. And especially in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it appears they tried to more so write in context of that moment, whereas John writing maybe as late as, you know, 90, 80, the Gospel of John, he wrote much later, he seems to give more of a church age view, a full gospel view, uh, writing as though the gospel's already in existence, whereas right now Luke's writing more so understanding what John was doing before the church began. I, I hope you're following what I'm saying. So uh, John the Baptist's message is not a full gospel message yet. He's preaching to Jews who are under the law. And he's trying to help them understand what it means to follow God. And as we see in verse 4, he begins to share, I am the one, though, that was prophesied to come to prepare the way for Jesus, who would bring the gospel. And that's what he's saying in Isaiah 40 here. He's quoting from Isaiah 40. Luke is, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. John knows and sees himself and he is acknowledged in the Bible as the one who is prophesied to come to prepare the way for the Lord. And that's what's being said here. So he began, John the Baptist began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, that's really an interesting statement. And again, sometimes, you know, it's challenging to interpret, but he is he is saying, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Well, remember now, although John is giving some special revelation, John may have had an understanding that a lot of Jews had that the Messiah was going to come to judge and then to rule and reign, and that that would happen quickly. And the way that Jesus actually came is Jesus came to usher in a the church age. It was largely a mystery, the age that we even live in now was a mystery to the Jewish people. They didn't see this age. What they saw was their Messiah ruler was going to come back to judge and to rule and to reign. And and they are right that that is what's going to happen because Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to come to judge and he's going to come to rule and reign. But the Jews missed out on the church age. They didn't see this age coming. So it may have been that John also did not fully see, and that he was seeing that, hey, this Jesus who I'm about to baptize, he's coming to judge and then to reign. And the wrath that he may be thinking of is 
the wrath that uh, this Messiah, Jesus, who is going to come to judge, is going to bring on them. That is possible. Otherwise, John is just looking ahead to, you know, the, the tribulation to come and the second coming of Christ and saying, hey, in, in, a, in a distant day, although John the Baptist might have not have known, you know, exactly when that day would come, that the Messiah is going to come to judge and to rule and reign. So anyways, regardless of exactly how John thought it was going to go down, he is preparing the way for Jesus and rightly warning them about, hey, if, if, if you don't follow this Messiah who's going to come, there's going to be wrath for people who do not follow the Messiah to come one way or the other. And then he says in verse 8, Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Now, so many interesting things John the Baptist is saying. So one, the Jewish people were special. They were God's family, and they saw their lineage coming from Abraham, and they saw themselves as under the promise that God made to Abraham, that I'm going to bless that family, and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. So they saw themselves as part of God's covenantal family under the blessing of Abraham. But one of the errors that came from that is it's like, okay, well, we're, we're God's special people. We're being blessed by the family of Abraham and almost taking it for granted that they don't need to live as godly people, that they don't need to live to serve God and to, to bear fruit and to do what's honorable and to do what's right. Almost just say, ah, kind of like, you know, I really look at it as like today, how we have people who might say, oh, yeah, well, I grew up Christian or, oh, yeah, I was infant baptized. I'm good. You know, I'm going to heaven. And 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 yet they're not really looking to serve God and to live for him. And they're not living a transformed life. They're like taking for granted some kind of faith from their parents or some kind of infant baptism and as though God doesn't want us to live a transformed life now. And what John's saying is stop relying on the fact that you're just Abraham's, you know, you come from Abraham's descendant, live for God, bear fruit and, and repent and, and do not just, you know, claim you a family lineage without actually having a transformed life. And, Verse 9, it says, Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, Jesus said things like this, too, when his ministry begins. And, you know, it has shaped my theology. I, I really do believe that God saves us, transforms us. He puts his Holy Spirit into us so that we will live a new life and that we will seek to, to bear fruit for God. It's not how we're saved, but it's what we do because we're saved. Now, again, John's not specifically speaking that in gospel terms because that's not fully there yet. But he is, again, challenging the people who are coming out to him. Listen, serve God because Jesus is coming and one day he's going to judge. And it's important that your life actually reveal that you're the people of God, not that just you're just a child of Abraham. So it's more of the same argument, but he shares some challenging words. And I, I think those words are very relevant to us today that, you know, we don't want to just take for granted that, oh yeah, I have faith. 
and not seek to live to please God and honor him and and be here to serve the mission of God and and bear fruit for his kingdom, helping others, loving others, pointing others to Jesus Christ. We should be living transformed lives. Verse 10, and the crowds were questioning him saying, then what shall we do? So they're, they're hearing this message of repentance and bearing fruit, and they're like, okay, what do we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. So he, he's he's giving them good works. Uh, it's very interesting. I'm going to be talking about this in my sermon today uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, in a message I'm going to preach it's Sunday today that I'm going to be preaching in a few hours. And what John is saying here, what's interesting is he's not saying doing works of the law. You know, the Jewish people were under the law. And he's not saying focus on works of the law. He's saying focus on good works. He's saying do something good. If there's someone who's in need, share your share a tunic with them. If they have food, and let me keep going. And he who has food is to do likewise. Share and do good works. You know, do good things for others. This isn't a work of the law. This is just something that you do when you're a person of faith to help people and that that and that's deemed good in God's eyes and John's pointing that out. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized and they said to him, "Teacher, what shall we do?" So now they want to know what to do. And he said to them, "Collect no more than what you have been ordered to." So don't overcharge, don't line your pockets, which the tax collectors were known for. Uh they just do what you need to do to do your job, but don't don't overcollect from the people. You know, do what's right. That basically that's what John the Baptist is saying. Stop relying on, you know, your lineage and do what's right. Honor God. Uh, some soldiers, listen to this. This goes to all areas of work, right? Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So be an honorable soldier. Do what's right. Don't take advantage of people. Again, all good works, all doing what's right, not works of the law, not Jewish <clears throat> laws, but just because, you know, we're the people of God. We we do good things. We <clears throat> We bear fruit. Now, while the people, verse 15, were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, that means the anointed one or the Messiah, the promised one to come. John is preparing the way for Jesus to come, but they're kind of wondering, oh, maybe this is the one we're waiting for. And John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And indeed, after Jesus died on the cross, 50 days later on Pentecost, his Holy Spirit came upon all those who believe. And now all who believe in Jesus, who are born again, they receive the Holy Spirit. And fire could, could refer to the cleansing, uh, cleansing fire of the forgiveness of sins and even the fire of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is referenced as a fire and was indeed a flame of fire uh, that came over the heads of people on Pentecost in a special revelation when the Holy Spirit first came on that day. Uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand, 
to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And, uh, you know, one day Jesus is going to separate the wheat, God's people, from the chaff, and God's people are going to go to heaven, and those who are chaff are going to be burned and thrown into hell. And John is saying, this is what Jesus is going to do. And yes, there's one way to heaven now. It's through Jesus Christ, and we need to believe in him. And that way we are going to be stored up in God's barn and not burn with the chaff. But John, again, appears to think that that is going to happen sooner than it did because he very well may have missed out on the understanding of the church age that we live in now as that was a mystery. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. So that's interesting. It says he preached the gospel. He he preached the, the forerunner of the gospel, not the full gospel. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, he challenged uh, John the Baptist uh, about uh, an improper marriage, marrying a, a sister of his brother, I believe it was. And as a result of the challenge that he gave, John got thrown in prison. So Herod also added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. Now John, he's Luke is giving us a preview that John is going to be thrown in prison. He's not thrown into prison at this moment, but he will be thrown into prison, John the Baptist, later. And, you know, God may have allowed that. And eventually, John the Baptist actually gets beheaded. They, they actually kill him. And, uh, you know, there was no confusion then about who was the Messiah, who was the Christ, who was the, the anointed one to come. It was Jesus and not John the Baptist. But John was faithful in doing his job. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. So Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out from heaven. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. What a powerful moment. And this is the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. Um, there's some extra biblical writings where you can hear about some things that may have happened in Jesus's life um, as he grew up and became a man. But his ministry really begins now with this baptism and God puts the seal of approval, you know, in my beloved son and in you I am well pleased. And now Jesus begins a very short and powerful ministry of three years, discipling his men teaching the gospel, and ultimately, in just three years, a little over, Jesus dies on the cross for the sin of mankind. Hallelujah. What a powerful word, though, to hear a voice come out of heaven and say, this is my son and you, I'm well pleased. What a beautiful thing that is. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as supposed the son of Joseph, meaning that, you know, he was born through Mary and Joseph, but but really he was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and not directly uh, of Joseph. But Joseph was still his earthly father, Joseph the son of Eli. Now, what we're going to get into now is the lineage. And this lineage is the lineage of Mary, it is supposed, 
whereas Matthew covers the lineage of Joseph. And the reason the lineages are important, and there's a lot of interesting things in these lineages, and we covered, I'm not going to cover this one in detail. We covered the one in Matthew in detail, and we've already, that's already, uh, you know, been recorded. You could listen to that. I believe that's right away in Matthew chapter one, if you want to listen to that. But uh, this one covers the lineage from Mary. Now, both Joseph and Mary, as recorded in scripture, come from the family line of David. And it was promised that the Messiah, Jesus, would come from Bethlehem and from the family line of David. David was promised that he would have a son that would have an eternal kingdom. And that person is Jesus. And that's one of the main reasons for the lineages in Matthew and Luke showing that Jesus can be traced from David's lineage because that was promised in the Bible. So uh, there's some amazing stories, you know, covered in the lineage, and I covered some of them uh, in Matthew chapter 1, if you want to take a look at some of those. But it's pretty special that God could come about to make Jesus come from the family line that he was supposed to come from. God can tie the knots of his word and his story, and he does an incredible job, even though sometimes it's separating a thousand years or even more of history. God's bringing together Old Testament prophecy and fulfilling it in his son. Um, Well, Jesus now is going to begin his ministry as we turn to chapter four, and it'll be a power, what a powerful ministry it will be. God bless you all.